It's no surprise that we're living in a very dangerous hour when God is seeking men and women to be diligent intercessors. Have you sensed God's calling to be a watchman in these critical days for your family, your town, your church, your city, your nation, or for Israel? It's a very sobering responsibility. The Jerusalem Channel is made possible by viewer support. Thanks for watching. Everyone is going through an unprecedented time when medical science and politicians are trying to manage the pandemic crisis. It's a time when many are seeking the Word of God to give hope and meaning to their lives. And there's never been a better opportunity for our ministry. So we want to say thank you to the viewers of Jerusalem Channel who have continued to make our programs possible. With your prayers and support, we can finance the cost to send video streaming around the world. Each week our audience grows and we're even exploring ways to subtitle shows into other languages. So it's with your help that we can bring a good word, the gospel truth through Jerusalem Channel. And especially at this time, please continue to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Shalom, I'm Christine Darg. Learning to be a watchman needs preparation, spiritual maturity, and lots of experience. Ezekiel chapter 33 describes what this calling from God is all about. And here it opens up by saying, The word of the Lord came to the prophet Ezekiel, saying, Son of man, speak to the children of your people, and say to them, when I bring the sword against a land, and the people of the land choose one of their men to be their watchman, and he sees the sword coming against the land, and blows the trumpet to warn the people, then, if anyone hears the trumpet but does not heed the warning, and the sword comes and takes their life, their blood will be on their own head. Now, these watchman verses in the book of Ezekiel are a timely message to all genuine watchmen over cities and nations. God did not require the watchman to argue, and I want you to notice he didn't require them to debate, but rather to sound the alarm, to warn, so that the watchman's hands will be free from blood. And if the watchman is negligent, the wicked won't escape punishment, but the negligent watchman will also be punished because blood guilt will be transferred to him. Since they heard the sound of the trumpet but did not heed the warning, their blood will be on their own head. If they had heeded the warning, they would have saved themselves. Now going on to verse 6 in Ezekiel 33, it says, But if the watchman sees a sword coming and does not blow the trumpet to warn the people, and the sword comes and takes someone's life, that person's life will be taken because of their sin. But God will hold the watchman accountable for their blood. So the office of a biblical watchman, who was a sentry upon the walls, was first given by God to Ezekiel in chapter 3. But here in chapter 33, his watchman ministry is reaffirmed. So Ezekiel is hearing this for the second time. He had already been primarily commissioned as a prophet. 
Now he's commanded to sound warnings to Israel. God wanted his people to be saved and for them to avoid suffering and judgment. In these verses, we see a dual responsibility, both of the watchman and the population. The watchman is required to sound the warning, but the people must act accordingly to seek their own safety. Once the watchman has faithfully performed his duty and given the warning, the responsibility to respond falls on the people who hear. There is no question of responsibility on both sides. Both the watchman and the people are responsible. Once the warning is given, the individual who decides not to heed the warning has sealed his own guilt. But the responsibility of the watchman is stronger than the responsibility of the individuals being warned. God says that if the appointed watchman does not blow the trumpet because of his negligence, the watchman would be taken away in his iniquity. Clearly, God is saying that he would be made to pay with his life. This is what God says further concerning a watchman's responsibility in verses 7 to 9 of Ezekiel 33. Now, as for you, son of man, I have appointed you a watchman for the house of Israel. So you will hear a message from me and give them warning from me. When I say to the wicked, O wicked man, you will surely die. And you do not speak to warn the wicked from his way. That wicked will die in his iniquity, but his blood I will require from your hand. But if you, on your part, warn a wicked man to turn from his way, and he does not turn from his way, he will die in his iniquity, but you will have delivered your life. It's interesting that in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul was a rabbi and a Pharisee, and he was thoroughly versed in the Hebrew Scriptures. And he made a similar statement in Acts chapter 20, starting with verse 26, where he said, I record this day that I am pure from the blood of all men. What a statement. Because he said, I have not shunned to declare unto you the full counsel of God. So take heed unto yourselves and to all of the flock over which the Holy Spirit has made you an overseer to feed the church of God, which he has purchased with his own blood. For I know this, Paul said, that after my departing, grievous wolves will enter in amongst you and not spare the flock. And of your own selves shall men arise, speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after themselves. Therefore, Paul said, watch and remember that for three years I cease not to warn you day and night with tears. You see a clear conscience here and the teacher of God's word has the same responsibility as God gave to Ezekiel the watchman. Teachers provide warnings by teaching all the counsel of God, but God has also made it quite clear in the book of James in the New Testament that teachers will receive the greater judgment and therefore have the greater responsibility in the church than others. Let's look at what James says in chapter 3, verse 1. Be not many of you teachers, knowing that we shall receive heavier judgment. Wow. We must have the courage to make warnings, but there's also great freedom of conscience in doing so. Knowing that debate or argumentation is not required. 
That's why I don't engage in a lot of senseless waste of time and endless debates with people. Warn them in love, but then move on. Because it's the Holy Spirit's job to convict them of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. Now, the watchman passages in the book of Ezekiel tell us that God doesn't take any pleasure in the death of the wicked. Ezekiel 33 and verse 11 goes on to say, Son of man, say to the house of Israel, as I live, declares the Lord, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but rather that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn back, turn back from your evil ways, God says. Why then will you die? So the watchman's duty is to warn people even more so because of the moral climate of today and to be wise and discerning on the other hand because Jesus also said for us not to toss our pearls before people who act like swine. We have to discern if they will even listen. For example, millions of people are using the matchless name of the Lord Jesus every day in vain and they think nothing of it because there's something in the heart of sinners that makes them want to blaspheme God. And unashamedly, we hear women saying the most foul things out on the streets. They don't care, very defiant and very proud. But we have to warn people and we have to be led as to who to warn. The Lord will tell us. The Apostle Peter said in his second letter in the New Testament that a significant sign of the last days is that scoffers are going to be scoffing and they'll do every evil thing they want to do because they forget that God created the earth and that he judged the earth with a mighty flood. The scoffers live to gratify themselves and they are willfully ignorant of God and his ways. They reject God and they reject the promise of the second coming of Jesus. They say God doesn't exist because they don't want to believe that he will come and judge them. The Apostle Peter says, don't forget, dear friends, that a day is like a thousand years in the sight of the Lord, and a thousand years is like one day to God. We think Bible prophecies fulfilled in Jesus' life happened 2,000 years ago, but in God's sight, it was just two days ago. So the Lord is going to come soon to judge all unbelievers. There was a time when I was growing up that adultery and fornication were considered shameful and taboo. But now moral values are suspect and outlawed even. Paul wrote the characteristics of moral degeneration that will happen towards the end of history. And over a hundred years ago already, a great preacher, Dr. Robert G. Lee, originally published his classic sermon called Payday is Coming Someday about God's judgment. He preached that sermon at least once a year at his home church, and altogether, he reportedly preached that message more than 1,200 times. And in it, he said, sin will take you further than you want to go. Sin will keep you longer than you want to stay, and sin will cost you more than you want to pay. So many times people have told me, I'm going to be okay on Judgment Day because God is going to weigh my good deeds on a scale and my good deeds will hopefully outweigh the bad things I've done. Well, that's deception, folks, and it goes against what the Bible teaches because the Bible says your good deeds cannot save you 
only the Savior can save you. He's the only one authorized by God to save you. Acts 4.12 says there is salvation in no one else. There's no other name in all of heaven for people to call on to save them, but the matchless name of Jesus. And here's another thing. As watchmen upon the walls of our cities and of Jerusalem, the Bible tells us that it's our duty to preach and to warn people about the second coming of Jesus. In Titus 2.13, we're told that we are always to be looking for, to be gazing intently for our blessed hope and glorious appearing of the Messiah. Then verse 15 of that chapter commands us to declare these things. So a preacher who never preaches about the Lord's return is out of line. And the teacher who never mentions the Lord's second coming is not obeying the word of God. Many people who claim to be Christians believe in the virgin birth. They believe in the Lord's vicarious death that he died for our sins. They believe in the resurrection of the Lord, but they know very little about the second coming. But that's like reading a book, but not finishing the end of the book. Yet the Bible has more to say about the Lord's return than many other subjects. So many people shy away from the subject of the rapture and the second coming because of the way extremists have mishandled the topic and the word of God by setting dates. But we are supposed to know verses about the biblically sound doctrine of the second coming and to be watching for it. Do you recall how in the Bible, the Lord kept thinning out the ranks of Gideon's army? Finally, they were thinned down to only 300 men from thousands. The way the last lot were tested was how they drank water from the brook. And only those were chosen who drank water with their hands while still keeping their eye out for the enemy. Likewise, we are to be busy for the Lord, yet we're also supposed to be keeping our eyes watching for his return. I like this, and I know of a man of God I want to tell you about who would start every morning by looking out the window and saying to God, perhaps today, perhaps the Lord will come today. He said to God, I'll be busy today, but I'll also be ready and watching. Then at night, before going to sleep, he would say, perhaps tonight, Lord, perhaps you will come tonight. I'll be asleep, but I'll also be ready. I will wake up when you come with a trump of God. In many churches, Christians routinely pray the Lord's prayer but we need to savor each line and pray the prayer with meaning and with understanding. For example, in that model prayer, what do the words mean, thy kingdom come? The phrase means, come back, Lord Jesus. Your kingdom was postponed when the Jewish nation rejected you, but when you return, they will receive you and your kingdom will be restored to Israel. By saying that, it means come back, King Jesus, son of David, and establish your kingdom as you are going to do with Jerusalem as your capital. It's saying sit on the ancestral throne of your father, David, and rule this world. It means this world is in a mess. We need you to come and take over the reins of government. As believers, we certainly recognize in the United States, for example, that no political party is able to bring the kingdom of God on earth. And in the UK, the Tories and the Labour Party and all the other parties together can't do what Jesus can do when he returns.
So as a watchman, I'm observing how little there is in our nation of the holy reverential fear of the Lord. Anything goes. Sin, unfortunately, has become respectable, if you can believe that. Adam and Eve hid after they had sinned, but today people don't seem to care who knows about their sin. And as a consequence, the lukewarmness in the churches is very scary. This week, I watched the film Infidel, starring Jim Caviezel at a fringe house, and I had been looking forward to seeing a depiction of persecution in Iran in that film. But I was very disappointed that, like most all films today, it was riddled with the F word and other vulgarities. The argument among Christian filmmakers seems to be, well, the dialogue is just reflecting the culture. But a man, as in this film, who portrays a Christian should not talk with a potty mouth. This trend reflects the church's lukewarmness and how far standards have dropped. And I'm sorry to say that many times shopkeepers in Jerusalem have shocked me by telling me that tourists claiming to be Christians and what's worse, even pastors who purchase items from them promise to send the rest of the money later, but they never did. These preachers have no idea how they are damaging the souls of the shopkeepers by being such poor ambassadors for the Lord. Believers are often lukewarm about telling the truth. It's just rare to hear a person's word is as good as his bond. How about yours? Can the world depend upon what you say? Integrity is so important, and when seen, it's too rare. But what a wonderful thing when we come across genuine integrity. Well, as a watchman, one of the greatest concerns I have is the lukewarmness today towards sin in the churches. The trend has gone away beyond lukewarmness. It's actually open rebellion going on. Sin is being celebrated. While we should welcome all people, no matter what their sin, to attend our services, once they come in under the power and influence of godly preaching, they should be convicted of their sins and they should be willing to repent, to renounce their sins and not celebrate them in the churches. We all have to repent. Not one of us is immune because God has not changed and sin has not changed. It's still true, as the Bible warns, that whatever a person sows, we shall also reap. It's still true that the wages of sin is death, and it's still true that sin brings forth death. Recently, I participated in another internet video streaming event from Jerusalem, and I heard a man of God say, if we don't teach our children and our grandchildren the foundations of this Bible, the pagans will teach our children, and you are not going to be happy with the results. I do believe that the Bible teaches that once we're saved, we are eternally saved, and the evil one just cannot snatch us out of the Lord's hand. But the lukewarm believer can lose the joy of his or her salvation and their interest in serving the Lord. They can lose victory over sin. They can forfeit enjoyment of regular Bible reading, which is always such an adventure, receiving sustenance and rhema words in our daily reading. A lukewarm believer can lose the joy of receiving answers to prayer. 
But most importantly, I warn you that indifferent, lukewarm believers will lose their reward throughout eternity. Here is the harm in being lukewarm. We are all examples as believers to other people. We are exhibit A for the Lord. And if we are lukewarm, the world will see it and will be tragically influenced by it. But King David, being a man after God's own heart, although he greatly sinned, he was still God's man. And he returned to God in repentance and tears and is in heaven today. His sin temporarily broke his communion with God, but it did not sever his relationship with God. And we need to understand these things. A backslider is a believer who falls into sin, but who has an honest desire to return to God because sin just didn't satisfy. But some people we call backsliders never were saved in the first place. They're just lost souls whose names happen to appear on a church roll. Many people whom we call backsliders have no genuine relationship to God and no desire to return to God. But when a real believer falls into sin, he or she is miserable and cries out to God until they return to God. And if you are a backslider, one who has sinned and cut off communion with God, please don't waste another minute. He's waiting for you to return to him because you belong to the Lord. The true believer can always sing, blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. In this fallen world, a believer will sin from time to time, but the general trend of his or her life will be ever-increasing sanctification, becoming a new creation. So the trend of the believer's life is upward towards God. We can fall from time to time into the slough of despond or get unfortunately sidetracked, but like the Christian in Pilgrim's Progress, we will keep heading towards the celestial city. Many professing Christians promise to serve the Lord, but are overtaken by weakness and we fall down, but the real believer is not going to stay down. A real believer will leave his or her sin. And if a person stays in sin, it's a sign that the Spirit of God is not living in him. Just as a baby learns to walk, he falls down, but he doesn't quit. He keeps toddling until he can walk and run. It's the same way with a believer. We may fall down, but the power of God within us pulls us up. If a Christian stays in sin, we should be concerned. It's a sign that the Spirit of God is not working through him. But when a child crosses a busy street, he may reach to take his parent's hand. So likewise, when a believer comes to a dangerous place and the temptations of this world just assail us, we reach out for God's hand and we just say, Lord, help. I'm sinking. And then he pulls us up as we continue to walk with the Lord. We grow in grace and we become stronger persons day by day because the path of the righteous grows brighter and brighter. Now, at the end of the Bible, Jesus said, I am coming quickly. And do you know what the last prayer in the Bible is? John the Apostle said, the last prayer, even so, come, Lord Jesus. And that should be our daily prayer while we are also about the Lord's business. I just don't have time to retire and put up my feet and laze about because I'm too busy still working for the Lord. And I'm also always watching and warning 
as a watchman should do. The Apostle Paul spoke of a crown that believers will receive who love the Lord's appearing. But sadly, not everybody in the churches loves the idea of the Lord's coming back. They're too solidly grounded here on earth. If the Lord came back today, and he could, he would upset all of their plans. But Paul used the Greek word agape regarding loving the Lord's appearing. This word means a deep yearning love of all of our hearts. Think of the wars that have scarred this earth and how mothers and fathers, wives and sweethearts have longed for their loved ones to return home. Children cry for their daddies to come home. And in like manner, we should be yearning for the return of King Jesus. It would be my heart's desire in this broadcast today if people watching or listening to the podcast would say from your hearts, Heavenly Father, I have sinned and worldliness and indifference is in my heart, but I need your help to rededicate my life to you and to your gospel because I want to be ready when Jesus returns. And I want to look forward to that blessed hope because I know it will be a better life with pleasures at your right hand forevermore, much better than any plans I could cook up in this lifetime. Amen. I must warn the unsaved that Jesus said, in the hour that you think not, I'm coming, and then it will be too late. So I plead with you to call upon the Lord now while there is yet a little time. And when you put your faith and trust in Jesus and believe on his name, the scriptures say that you have passed from death unto life. That means that we were all originally on the side of death. But the Bible says, the soul that sins, it shall die. The wages of sin is death. But hallelujah, there's a bridge on which we may pass to the side of life. And Jesus is that bridge. Through Jesus, we cross from death unto life the minute that we put our faith in him. So I urge you to call upon his name right now. In the meantime, I want to draw your attention to our website, exploits.tv, which reports on current and end time events relating to the church and the nation of Israel. At our website and Jerusalem Channel YouTube site, we also offer you a library of videos 24-7. And we invite you to sign up for our free electronic magazine called Exploits, based upon Daniel 11, 32, declaring that people who know their God will be strong and we are going to accomplish exploits, doing the works of the Lord in the remaining time before his imminent return. Feel free to share your thoughts with me on the social media, or you can contact us on your phones or tablets through our free Jerusalem Channel mobile app. Now today, I want to leave you with a sobering verse from the little one-chapter book of Jude, who was one of the half-brothers of the Lord Jesus. I've often been amazed by these verses and pondered them. It speaks of three groups of people. Jude said in verses 22 to 23, Show mercy to those whose faith is wavering. Rescue others by snatching them from the flames of judgment. And there are still others to whom... You need to show mercy, but be careful that you are not contaminated by their sins. Amen. Lord, I pray that you will give boldness to all of us to warn people as true biblical watchmen and give us the wisdom to speak firmly to them, but also in genuine love.
Well, until next time, I'll always be contending for the faith and praying earnestly for the peace of Jerusalem. I'm Christine Dark. Shalom and Maranatha. <laughs>